I am, I tell you what, I am, I'm still, I will get over this. I promise you I will get over this at some point. It may take a little bit, but I am really, when we get to Labor Day, my depression starts to hang, it just, it just really kind of grow because summer's, like, this moment right here is summer's over and we still are, like, months away from Christmas and it just, like, it's just, like, this is a time that just doesn't have any purpose. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, um, we, we, one of the things that, that uh, I, I better just get us started here today, so... Would you, would you pray with me as we, was Holy Spirit, um, I pray that you'd move through here. I pray that, that you would allow each of us to feel your presence around us and your presence within us. I pray, Father, for all of the things that, that, that we are celebrating. I pray that we would see you in the joy. Father, for all of the things that we are grieving I pray that we would see you in the grief. Father, I also pray that for all of our celebration and all of our grief, that you would bring us together as a family, that we would do this together. So Lord, I pray that as we begin our fall together, it really would be together. I pray that we would sense the presence of all of those around us. And as we closed last week talking about the cloud of witnesses, I pray that we would know the inspiration and encouragement that we have around us now. So Lord, would you meet us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're kicking off a new Sunday morning series that'll take us through Thanksgiving. And I'm saying Thanksgiving for Jenny Hodges because I always talk about Christmas and she always says, what about Thanksgiving? Um, I, I, I hear you. I hear you, but we, this will take us all the way through Thanksgiving and set us up for the Christmas season. Um, it's a, a series that we are calling Abide. Now, one reason that we're doing this is because Abide is a word that joins obey and submit as words that, that are essential to understanding our relationship with Jesus, but those words cause me a lot of friction when I apply my cultural understanding of those words. Now, to a large extent, this series is going to be about busting paradigms as they relate to being a follower of Christ. But to, to abide, to obey, to submit, all of these words and the actions they define often for me feels more like, like things that, that exemplify countries that, that, that might find themselves between Spain and Germany. Um, certainly not people born into a country that won the race to the moon, and also reign as back-to-back World War champs. These are not words that we often see in a positive light. I'm not allowed to talk about France in sermons anymore, so that's why I had to give the geography. Uh, that's something that Jenna has uh, asked me not to do. So um, that, you just look at a map and you'll know what I'm talking about. But anyway... As we closed out the last few weeks of, of our summer series together, uh, that summer series on faith, where we walked through Hebrews 11, I shared with you a revelation that I had about myself. And it, I told you that, that I've navigated much of my life more interested in God participating with me rather than being inclined to participate with him and with his plan. I asked God's intervention as a response to discomfort, 
I ask him to, to intervene in tragedy. I ask him to, be, uh, to meet me in adversity. But then I've got less interest in God's participation when it comes to things that, that I want to uh, ensure that I can maintain my own control over. I want God to save me from negative consequences. I want him to bless me with positive consequences. And I want him to do all of these things on my terms so I can enjoy life without my sovereignty being encroached upon. Now, again, I want to make the point that asking God to intervene in my life is an entry point, and it's, and it's one that, that all of us likely share, that, that we came into relationship with Jesus because we asked him to intervene at a time of, of pressure or, or uh, when circumstances led us to that place. That's not a bad thing. That's something that we all share. It's an entry point. It's not a final destination. Something that I missed in my early days trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, though, that allowed, really allowed this entry point to be a destination, is that I didn't see God's intervention into my life as an invitation. God's intervention actually is an invitation for me. So the paradigm shift that I needed was that the chaos that I sought refuge from, the comfort that I sought, would not come by way of me getting what I'm, I'm asking for, but by getting what would really give me life. This invitation to move from a desire of having God participate in my life is a desire to participate with God's plan. The change required was for me to lose my immature, controlling, lack of faith definition of the word abide. So this fall, all the way to the beginning of our Advent and, and Christmas celebrations, we're going to jump into the teachings of Jesus, seeking out the paradigm-busting lessons that he teaches beyond what it means to abide, but how to abide in authentic relationship with, with him. So to give us context, we're going to start in John 15, verse 1. I'm the true grapevine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you re remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Now, what would a Sunday morning with the Vineyard family be without a Greek lesson? The word, uh, the NLT translates as remain, and, and a lot of other translates use the word abide, is the Greek word meno. 
Understanding this word both breaks a paradigm and helps us rebuild uh, one of, of an accurate understanding of what this word really means. Now, the closest English that, that gets to minnow is, is to abide or to remain or to endure or to stay with or to continue. It, it also can be related to a place to stay or dwell, a place to remain in wholeness. Minnow is a word that John, the Apostle John, uses several times in the gospel and in the letters that, that, that he wrote because he's creating a metaphor by choosing this word meno, uh, a metaphor of, of dwelling and hospitality to describe the relationship between Jesus and us, but also it describes the relationship between Jesus the Son and God the Father. This word meno, abide, remain. Now in the passage that we just read, calls us to abide, to remain, to meno in Jesus. That often can be misunderstood though as a call or even at times I've read this passage as a threat to behave, be good. If you don't behave or be good, you might lose your place, be cut off and burned. This misunderstands much, starting with the very character of God. This is not what that passage means. Not only does it misunderstand the very character of God, it misunderstands how his intervention is an invitation to life. How his intervention into our lives is an invitation to eternal life. What this passage means is that to minnow in Jesus is to draw life from him. The, rea the reality is that we are all minnowing something. That's just true. We are all drawing life from something, right? We are all minnowing something. We are all abiding or remaining in something. But the only thing that will lead to life, the only thing that will lead to life that bears fruit is to be minnowed in Jesus. I know that Greek scholars are convulsing right now with how I'm using meno um, and being minnowed and minnowing, but that's just the way that we're going to roll in our, uh, our fall series here. We are going to minnow the heck out of Jesus. <laughs> to abide, to remain, to minnow is to draw life from the connection of relationship. People who know him or know of him do not draw life from him. They're drawing sustainment from something else. That sustainment, though, is counterfeit because it doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. Being minnowed to Jesus is more than just knowing him or knowing about him. Being minnowed to Jesus is all, it's not meant to be something difficult for us to understand. It can be difficult to do, but it's not designed to be difficult for us to understand. The fact that Jesus teaches us how to do this is evident that, the, that, that John talks about teachings alongside this call to abide. This is something that is accessible for us to do. It's something that we can understand. He says, uh, he, he remembers Jesus saying in John chapter 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you, faithful, uh, if you remain faithful to my teachings. 
in First John, the, letter, uh, the first letter in the canon that John wrote. So you must remain, you must meno, faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. In Second John, again, John writes, anyone who wanders away from, from this teaching has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. And Paul, in 2 Thessalonians, adds this. With all of these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. What all of this means is that, that Jesus has provided us with the teachings that show us what it is to meno with him. So what we're going to be doing this fall is we're going to be unlocking these teachings as we study the parables and find the invitation to abide in Jesus and also he with us. Now, parables are our central feature of the teachings of Jesus. He uses uh, these extended similes and, and short stories about the kingdom of God. He bases them on human experience. Uh, parables are often used to, to call for a response, to bust up paradigms, and to demonstrate life in the kingdom of God. So we, as a vineyard, are going to begin where a vineyard ought to begin. We're going to begin with some wine and a party. In Mark chapter 2, first parable that we'll consider together is this. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. I love how Jesus does not answer questions that are asked, but he gives answers that are needed. I wonder how frustrating it must have been for the people asking, like, what, new cloth. We're asking why you don't behave. You're talking about new cloth. Now, this is a great place to, to start because it engages well with understanding what happens when we move from intervention to invitation. The movement from inviting God into my plan to accepting the invitation of the plan of God means that something has changed. It means that something is new. Now, rather than being agents of, of our own ambition and survival, we submit to something larger than ourselves. But the important point here is that actually, to say that something has changed is not accurate. Everything changes. In this passage, Jesus is, is confronted by some folks that, that want to know why he and his disciples are misbehaving. They want to know why he is not doing the things that, that culture demands of them. They want to know why they're not engaging in the religious rituals that, that people would expect all of them to participate in. 
Jesus takes this line of questioning and it turns it into a teaching moment. And he's teaching those around him, but he's also teaching us in our age and in our time through this parable. See, fasting in the context of, of those that are questioning Jesus had become a strict religious practice. In the Jewish, in the Jewish faith, the faith that is part of our spiritual heritage through the Old Testament, fasting was only required on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a national day of, of confession and forgiveness, and it was the only day that was actually required that, that one would fast on the Day of Atonement. But some Jews extended this to a practice of fasting two days a week. Mondays and Thursdays were given to, to fasting, and while it sounds like, like, like folks taking religious ser- religion seriously, this fasting was done from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. The rest of the time you could eat all you want, um, but also during that time, uh, the, these, uh, the, these folks would, uh, would wear old, raggedy clothes. They would make the, like, throw stuff on their face to, to, to like, make it look a little bit more white. And, and they would look the part of somebody that's really sacrificing for God. They would look the part. This fasting was problematic. It's problematic because it's serious religion, and serious religion is always problematic. Now, Jesus, in, in pushing back on this, Jesus is not anti-fasting. He's anti-showing off. Jesus did fast, but he fasted for reasons of worship and discipline, not to look like a religious superhero. I would just make this point. If there is an effort to look like a religious superhero, that really is all you got. There's nothing else behind it. This fasting was meant to call attention to how well-behaved, how pious, how good these people were. You know, they, they wore those old clothes, whitened up their faces to ensure that this monumental sacrifice they were making would be noticed. Something that a person can do without actually inclining their heart towards God. It's an action that I can take without actually loving God. This type of fasting is faking the funk, and Jesus calls it out. Using the theme of, of a wedding also is an awesome metaphor. And just as a quick aside, talking about weddings, 18 years ago today, 18 years ago today, 18 years, Hurricane Katrina ran through uh, the city of New Orleans. I also married Jenna. That's... <laughs> but... Hurricane Katrina is one of those uh, mental, like, it just, I, I have that locked in there, so it reminds me when people start talking about Hurricane Katrina, anniversaries coming up. But also, interestingly enough, September 3rd is Alan and Jenny Hodges' anniversary as well. And what, what, how many years for you guys? That was a lot of flashes. 40. Wow. Oh my gosh. 40. Man, I was three years old. Well done. Oh, man. What were we talking about again? 
Uh, oh, the theme of a wedding. That's <laughs> The theme of a wedding. This is an awesome metaphor that Jesus is using a wedding. One that, that Jesus, he, he often uses weddings as, as a metaphor. Um, in this case, though, he's calling attention to the reality that there's a Jewish custom that comes into this that makes fasting even more problematic. See, it was a Jewish custom that was backed up by, uh, by uh, rulings of, of, of the rabbis that during the week of a wedding, when the wedding was going on, the wedding party was exempt from all religious practices that might lessen their joy. It's very convenient. And I, I really, I, I find it interesting how the legalists can always find a way around legalism when it might harsh their mellow. They're very strict except when it's not convenient for the strict to be strict. And so there's a little bit of a, a commentary being made on, on this, but also Jesus knows that a wedding means a feast. And if you're like me, feasts mean joy. How can you be displeased at a feast, especially with burgers like ours? Jesus is commenting on the, the counterfeit religious exercise, and he's comparing his ministry and his presence with his followers to a wedding celebration. And so he's doing both of those in, in this metaphor, a celebration of joy that would exempt his followers from religious observances because that would lessen the joy of being with Jesus. They are not going to participate with the old rules because that would lessen their joy of being with Jesus. He does end that metaphor, though, with an allusion towards his death, a time where fasting would be appropriate due to the sorrow that will come from that occasion. Now next, Jesus uses two parables that have a broader relevance to just fasting, but, but fasting as a religious expression is still being scrutinized by what Jesus is presenting. Jesus talks about sewing new cloth to an old garment and putting new wine into old wineskins, neither of which are advisable. New, yet-to-be-shrunken cloth would rip the garment even more and make a bigger hole. New wine, in the historical and cultural context, this wine that had not yet been developed, it not yet finished fermenting, would burst a skin bag that had lost its elasticity due to being used. The Old Covenant is an old wineskin. The Old Covenant was based on humanity's ability to do our part in order to be in right relationship with God. What we see through the, new, through the Old Testament is that the, the nation of Israel could not achieve something that we cannot achieve either. We can fake the funk with rituals, we can fake the funk with religion, but without the grace and the mercy of God, we're helpless. This new covenant, this new wine, is not based on human effort. This new covenant is based on, on renewal that comes from the indwelling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit imparted to those that will have faith in Jesus. 
The path to righteousness is achieved through faith. This cannot be mixed with any old religious practices. Ritual fasting was old wineskins for the, for the Jews in the same manner that old ways of living for us are old wineskins. An attempt to bind the newness of the gospel to the old religion is as popular now as it was back then. Old wineskins are all around us. I'm not talking about the OG ministry. I know that somebody's going to ask me about that later. I'm not referring to anybody west of 60. Old wineskins that will burst with the new wine include things like mixing ritual with relationships creating legalist and traditionalist expressions of faith. Thinking that you, can, that you can only hear the word of the Almighty if the preacher man wears a three-piece suit or a robe. It doesn't work here at the vineyard. You can hear the gospel from cargo shorts. Amen. Thank you. I was waiting for that. I knew somebody would feel it. You just got to wait a little bit there, and then it'll, that, that amen will come. Only being able to worship to specific songs that are done in the right way at the right volume. <laughs> inviting people. Inviting communities. And inviting God to participate in our own story rather than being eager to join the corporate story that include us but is not about us is also an old wineskin. When we attempt to live in the new covenant, but we express this new covenant by staying in the entry point, asking for intervention rather than accepting the invitation, we're putting new wine into an old wineskin. That skin is going to burst. Wanting people, communities, and God to intervene in our life without wanting to invest in the larger story of family, church, and mission. This is, is why we see the American church in decline, because old wineskins are busting. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. The decline of the American church is coming because old wineskins are busting. We live in a culture that preaches about self but we're introduced to the story of God that says his activity in this historical era is worked out by the work of his body, the body of Christ, the church. Old wineskins look to be served as the only expression of relationship when the new wine is calling us collectively to ask what do I mean to the church rather than what do I do at the church building. This leads us back to, to the question, from what do we draw life, and what fruit does that light bear? To abide, to minnow Jesus, is to be connected to him, to be connected to his body. This connects us to the unfolding plan of God, a plan that we are invited into both as participant and recipient. 
Jesus finishes the teaching to abide in John 15 this way. This is what he says. I've told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for your friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love each other. We're called to abide, we're called to menno with Jesus. And then Jesus uses the parables to teach us how. And he shows us what it looks like. New wine and the new wineskins is expressed by faith in God. And when we place our faith in God, it leads to faith in each other. As we individually hear the command to love each other in the same way that Jesus loved us. Trust that you were surrounded here now by people in this room that heard that same command. Know that you are loved. And love. With that, new wine can flow into a new wineskin as we minnow Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, there's so much about your parables. There's so much wisdom. There's so many things that we can draw from. But Father, the simplicity is what we, we thank you for today. And so, Father, I pray as we turn back to worship that you would help us to simply consider what are we holding on to that your new covenant comes to fulfill and replace. Father, I pray for all of the, the, the religiousness that we might hold on to, for all of the, the legalist stuff we hold on to, for all of the things that we hold on to from the life that we lived when we were not living for you. I pray that you would help us Help us to recognize those. Help us to submit to your call to abide. Help us to menno you in Jesus' name.